Hey, it's Arlene Bynan filling in for Alex Pearson on On Point. Today on the podcast, the federal government is rumored to have this massive overhaul coming. Finances with additions like pharmacare, basic income. Is it really coming? And how is it going to affect our budget? Then the CNE announces after major losses, they may never come back. How can we live without them? And look at everything they have done for our memories of the city. We dive into the impact that the Canadian music industry had from the CNE. Then we're going to finish off the show with a conversation with Al Carbone. He's the owner of the popular Toronto restaurant Kit Kat. It made it through SARS, made it through a recession, but it can't hold on through COVID. Let's begin. Happy Eve of the beginning of Labor Day weekend. I'm Arlene Bynum. We have a, just a really good show lined up tonight as we get into the mood of the waning days of summer. And I got to tell you, it's, you know, people usually, we try to look for um, feature stories and, and things that we're going to do on the holiday. But there's a political story today, and you might want to remember where you started, where and when you started to hear about this. You know, last night we were talking about all the hints and the dangling the Prime Minister was giving of what was coming in the speech from the throne. And we heard it right after we we heard about the proroguing and we saw the finance minister get kicked to the curbs and we wondered why and the friction that was being reported between the finance minister and the prime minister. And then we have a new finance minister. Well, now he is not being very subtle about it. Justin Trudeau, the prime minister, really laying it out that, and I'm almost quoting him here, it is possible to use this tragic situation to do big things and make Canada fairer. So hang on to your hat, buckle up, all those things, because this could be a momentous time in the history of our country. Look, we're already going through emotions. We're going through fear and anxiety and and all the things that have happened with the pandemic. Now, it looks like our liberal government and the prime minister are going to take this moment and totally reconstruct the economic and perhaps in some ways social makeup of the country. I know that sounds really big, but they're, they're the words of the prime minister already. We're hearing reporting, and we will do a deeper dive later on in the show in this and what is being reported. We're hearing reporting that this is a most unusual situation, that it is not just a little tweak here, what we're going to see. It isn't. It is going to be about expanding the green policy and taking probably racial injustice and absolutely changing the fabric in a huge way. And one of the biggest ways that this is going to be impacting us is deficits. You know, this prime minister took a chance, didn't he? Remember in that debate in 2015, and he was trying to fight off, um, I'm a lightweight, and he stood there and he made sure there was space between his two legs and kind of a tough stance, ready to take a punch. And in the debate, he said, I am going to raise deficits. I'm not going to take these hits anymore. This is what I'm going to do. And the country voted him in. Absolutely. Well, um, from what we're hearing, that is nothing compared to what is coming in this speech from the, the throne 
And will Canadians go for this? Is this something that Canadians are in the mood for? Clearly, the prime minister thinks that he can take this chance, but we got to get ready for it. And lots and lots of hints of this massive plan to change the economic fabric of Canada. Aaron O'Toole, the new conservative leader, they're hearing these reports already. And it really appears that the prime minister is loaded for bear to go for an election. Here is Aaron O'Toole. As I've said before, if they want to rattle the sabers, they will find that our saber is sharp. But I'm not here for an election. I'm here for the relaunch of our economy post-COVID. And they've got to be ready. So are we going to hit the ground running here? And just how much of a big change is this? Ian Lee will join us later on, and he'll tell us what he's been hearing, uh, both off the record and on the record. And I know the prime minister speaking to the CBC in Vancouver was pretty clear. You know, he said no one was elected on a COVID mandate. And we need support from other parties or we're going back to the polls. So could this be our life after going through all this turmoil here with the virus? We're looking to the United States. We're seeing they're in the middle of a historic election campaign. And we're wondering how that's going to affect us. And then we could be going to the polls ourselves. Also tonight, another hit, a blow, full frontal blow and a Punch in the gut, too, as well. I'll put those both things together. The CNE. We know all these closures have happened. And I don't know about you. Like So many of them happened that they all started to fold on each other, one after another. But then when we wake up today and see the CNE is saying, you know what? We might not be able to continue a $6 million loss. And the memories start to come back. And you realize, and well, I want to talk about it later in the show, all the emotional wrenching, because I kind of felt like I heard a friend was sick, a really good friend or a relative, and all the the things about growing up, growing up in Hamilton, wanting to live in Toronto at the time. Sorry, Hamilton, but that's what I wanted when I was growing up. And and now it's a big cheers to Hamtown, my hometown. And I've learned to appreciate all, all the wonderful things about Hamilton, Ontario. But going to the CNA, the first taste of it, and I'm sure a lot of people can identify with that. And, and tonight we're also going to talk about the music scene, all the all the fantastic bands and the band shell. I mean, we've got the midway, we've got the music scene, we've got people and kind of a coming together and may I say an egalitarian <laughs> coming together because you, there was no, you know, ritzy area of the CNE was there. It was the smell of cotton candy and the, and the toys when you were young and going there with your friends later on and all the things that we're losing here in this pandemic. Last night I was mentioning I felt, you know, really emotional learning Kit Kat was closing. One of our panelists wanted to remind me, and it's very true, and I want to give a shout out. It's exemplary of so many other businesses that have had to say goodbye. And the owner of the Kit Kat is going to join us tonight, and we're going to talk about his gut-wrenching decision. So it is, before we get ready for our Labor Day weekend, it is a... It's been a week of turmoil. We might feel okay and feel like we're kind of on better footing. But look at this. I mean, big plans. We're going to have to make huge decisions politically. 
we may have to say goodbye to more of our friends in this pandemic, just as we were, you know, at least kind of getting used to it. And one of the things that is happening as we explore what's the business is going is, you know, the death, when you really think about it, in the downtown cores of Toronto and Hamilton, London, all the big cities in Canada, the people are not there. The people that used to go for drinks and at work or go for dinner at the Kit Kat or meet people for lunch or all the other bars and places. And, and the people who would say, you know, I know where to get the best shawarma and take off for lunch and come back with the hot sauce dripping on them. And um, what's happening to those shawarma people? What's happening to the people who are selling hot dogs on the street? You know, we saw some hints of it, little dingle dangles that the prime minister had something very big planned, the proroguing, what happened to the finance minister. And then there was talk of these big things. And then just days ago, there weren't a lot of subtleties. The prime minister there being really, really definite that this was a time to do amazing things, in his words, and take the things that we had learned from the pandemic. But it has a lot to do with deficits and spending and a total restructuring, basically, of what this government and our government spends money on and our society. I know it sounds really big, but it is a huge story. Joining us is Ian Lee, Associate Professor of Management at Carleton University, Sprott School of Business. Ian, welcome. How are you? Uh, my pleasure, uh, Arlene. I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. All right. Did I overplay it? But this to me seems like super huge. This is the Lollapalooza of resets as far as I'm concerned. I, I agree with you, and I know that you know it's been said at every election. I don't say it at every election that this is the most important election of all time. Mm -hmm. But there are um, elections from time to time in the history of a country, um, not just this country, other countries, you know, that are truly epochal. That is to say, they're, they they represent the proverbial fork in the road. And um, you know, we had the 1988 free trade election. John Turner and Brian Mulroney was a, an epochal election, you know, towards free trade versus a much more protectionist Canada. And uh, I think that Mr. Trudeau has decided, for whatever reasons, I think it's sincere. I think he sincerely is a very left-of-center progressive. Mm -hmm. um, he has decided to, if you will, bet the farm. Uh, uh, he's going to uh, double down and uh, go all out. All his um, comments to that effect have said so. Uh, the leaks that they're uh, releasing out of you know PMO and people around him are saying that the speech from the throne and the subsequent budget is going to be unprecedented. Mm -hmm. Now, in normal times, using the word unprecedented would not grab my attention that much. Mm -hmm. But when it's on top of a deficit of 350 or 360 billion, which truly is never been seen before, truly is unprecedented, and they're saying, ah, peanuts, we're going to go way beyond that, then we know we're, uh, we are facing a, 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 you know, a remarkable decision. I do think he, uh, if you look at all the tea leaves, um, that he is going to engineer, either engineer a defeat in Parliament or call the election if he isn't defeated, because all the tea leaves are pointing towards him setting the table for uh, an election and, um, you know, getting rid of the finance minister who was, mm -hmm. the rumors were that he was getting wanted in the way here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so I think, 
I'm in agreement with you. I think that this is going to be uh, a truly astonishing speech from the throne. It's going to represent a radical increase, I think, in pharmacare, daycare, um, uh, every form of care uh, uh, that is offered, elder care, uh, more health care. And uh, it's going to, it could run up the deficit by another 100 to $200 billion. And, and we're think- getting all sorts of quotes, aren't we, Ian? You know, the tap is not turned off. I mean, in John Iveson's piece, there's a quote that this is a literally frightening spending yes. plan. It, that's not the first time I've seen that. And if it was just one quote in one article, people could dismiss it. But uh, some very distinguished and very centrist, uh, well-known elder statesmen, if we can call them that, because they're now retired. They're not in the game anymore. I'm referring to David Dodge, uh, the former governor of the Bank of Canada. But before that, he was the deputy minister of health. And uh, the other was Don Drummond, who advised um, a premier, liberal Premier McGuinty. And normally they are very careful as retired elder statesmen not to criticize the governor of the day. And if you read their latest quotes, their public uh, quotes, they're expressing uh, what can only be classified or characterized as, as mm-hmm. criticism of um, uh, this, uh, these leaks and suggestions that the government is going to massively increase its spending. And then there's, uh, there's other leaks in Ottawa off the record of senior public servants mm-hmm. who are also expressing concern. And I can tell you, mm-hmm. I have spoken to some blue liberals, distinguished, mm-hmm. well-known blue liberals who have privately expressed uh, concern, great concern over the the huge increase in the spending. So, my point being that this is not a slam dunk. This is a, I think, very high risk strategy on his or gamble on his part. Sort of, you know, analogous of Brian Mulroney when he said, "I'm going to roll the dice in Quebec." Yeah. Well, he's rolling the dice in a different dimension on a massive, unprecedented, gargantuan increase and massive increase across the spectrum of all our social programs. And I say it's a gamble because, you know, he's, I think he's, it's, there's no doubt he's going to, you know, eat the, uh, the breakfast, lunch, and dinner of the Green Party and the, uh, and the NDP. But, uh, and people can say, oh, well, he can write off the Conservatives. But there's a significant chunk, a faction or a group, within the Liberal Party who are mainstream blue liberals or sometimes called business liberals, Martha Hall Findlay, John Manley, Frank McKenna. I would put John Charest in that category. I would Absolutely. probably put Bob Ray. And and they there's not it's not a guarantee that they're going to go if there is an election this fall, and I do think he's planning on having one. It's not a guarantee that all those blue liberals are going to go into the ballot box, which, of course, is completely secret in our country, and vote the way that everybody thinks they're going to vote. So it's it really is a high risk, not because of the left, meaning the people on the left. He's going to get all the, the votes there, most of the votes there. It's the middle. I think this election is going to be fought not at the fringes. It's going to be fought in the middle, and it's going to be over a very high stakes bread and butter. I mean, Yeah, and this is going to be clearly in the history books. I mean, look at the quote that just happened yesterday from the prime minister. Quote, we are asking Canadians to embark on an entirely different direction as a government. And, you know, Ian, with all this, I mean, first it was pretty solid speculation. But now, I mean, come on. I mean, if it the old it's quacking like a duck. So put it in the pan and fry it because this is the way it's going to go. It also matches a lot of stuff, doesn't it? This prime minister has had 
a a feeling about himself. He's very confident the way he you know was brought up, and yeah. he may want to leave a legacy. Everyone does, and look at what's yeah. happened to him. You know, he was he proved everyone wrong. That's one of the things he said to Donald Trump when he met him. They both underestimated us. We have a lot in common. You know, when that happens in life, you ride high for a while, and then there is a humbling, and it happened. This is yeah. his shot because I always find it interesting in politics that the human aspect we think always think people are you know looking at this and that and the other and you know it's good for the country they see their name in the history books as far as I'm concerned to some degree I, I uh, couldn't yeah. agree with you more um, I think that when you get to that level I don't mean on day one the first day you're filled, yeah. filled with excitement over winning but at some point whether it's in your first term or your second term and there's ample I mean there's just incredible documentation for this in the states there are professors who are actually called presidential scholars and all they do is study mm-hmm. the presidency mm-hmm. and President after president, and in our country, prime minister after prime minister, they do become worried about their legacy. I mean, Brian Mulroney saw Quebec and bringing Quebec into the Constitution as his legacy. It failed, but he tried. You know, of course, Pierre Trudeau wanted to patriate the Constitution and bring in an amending formula and the Charter of Rights and all that. That was his legacy. They're very conscious. And in in Justin Trudeau's uh, case, and you brought up something very important, he is not oblivious. I cannot believe he's oblivious to the fact that he's been treated by many pundits, and full disclosure, I'm one of them, have have treated him as a lightweight. And they said, and I've said it too, and I'm not afraid to say it, he is not his father. He is not educated like his father. His father was extraordinarily well-educated. His father wrote books. His father was a Mm -hmm. professor. Not trying to privilege professors, but I'm just saying his father. Had no, he a was record. a thinker. He was an intellectual. Oh, he was an intellectual. No he was a thinker, and and he knows. And you think this might be kind of payback here, and that exactly. real inside, and I'm going to show them. I'm going to show those people that have been putting me down. I'm going to show them that I've got the real stuff, the right stuff, and and I can't. I just he's a human being like everybody else. And nobody likes being put down, even on a comparative level. And I, he has been, you know, dismissed by mm-hmm. many, many people mm-hmm. in this country. And and then, of course, his record, his scandals have reinforced that narrative. And I'm not saying he's only doing this because of his of failures. No, of but this scandals. is the, the human aspect of it. This is what's it's, driving it's him. Look at, we yeah. all look south of the border, what's driving, that's what, I mean, yeah. I did, full disclosure, read Mary Trump's book, and because of analyzing leaders, yeah. I, I found it fascinating. And I, I think what you're saying could be a big part of it. Anyway, buckle up, Ian Lee. Yeah. We could have a heck of a fall together. It's Thank be a you. wild fall. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. We appreciate Thank, it. Th- thanks very much, Arlene. Ian Lee, Associate Professor of Management at Cortland University, Sprott School of Business. I am just gutted is the word as we look at perhaps what might happen to the CNE. You know, a lot of stories, businesses closing and things that are changing. Some of them just really hit you. And this is a mass disaster. If it's true that the $6 million loss may lead to the CNE not being able to operate before. You know, when I first started in the city of Toronto, my first 
day on the job as a radio reporter, and I was so thrilled to make it into the big smoke, was covering the CNA and the Labor Day parade. And hearing this and just freaks me out. Never mind coming there from Hamilton as a kid every single year. You know, there's all the rides. There's the iconic Midway part, but there's always the music scene. I really wanted to talk about it. Uh, joining us is Eric Alper, music expert. And he certainly is. Eric, welcome. How are you doing? I'm okay. You know, of all the things that have happened this summer, especially with COVID, and I'm not insensitive to anything, the CME and the news today hit me in a place that hasn't been hit before. This mm-hmm. was this is a real kind of loss if we actually lose the CNE because it was actually our it was almost like our our timestamp to the beginning of the summer and the end of the summer. Forever, forever in ever. my life. I mean, this is up there with Sam the Record Man, as far as I'm concerned, being a, yeah. a growing up in, in Hamilton, Ontario. But uh, so many people, you know, all around the this part of southern Ontario, people knew the CNE. And Eric, the, the music legacy, if for some reason they can't go on, I mean, what are we losing here? It made international news, didn't it? Yeah, for decades and decades. You know, the grandstand shows reflected in the 1930s and 40s and 50s just how much the U.S. influence had over our country with artists like Danny Kaye and Jimmy Durante and all of these artists that were coming to our country because we were just another country in the worldwide scene. And then in the 60s and 70s, you saw um, Anne Murray and Triumph and April Wine and Neil Young and Burton Cummings and BTO really used the CNE and the Bandshell and the Grandstand as a major touring stop. And up until, you know, last summer where you saw Walk Off the Earth and Kansas and Big Sugar the year before. I remember as a kid going there for the first time, probably when I was about eight or so, and seeing artists there but never seeing as many people in one place together in my entire life, thinking that this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Um, and then as a teenager, I saw Simon and Garfunkel and Super mm-hmm. Tramp and Moist and Sloan. It, it, it's, uh, it's, it's incredible the sheer amount of artists that have stopped by the CME to perform. And also, it's a blast from from the music past, isn't it? There was nothing modern about it. People went there and listened to music in a huge group like they had for decades, you know? And it was it was tradition, too. You, yeah. Your parents had done it. It was, an, right, right. It was, it was amazing. You can go, it was shows that you can go see with your parents. You know, up until a couple of years ago, it almost seemed like it was everybody's favorite guilty pleasures. They had the box and 5440 and um, men without hats and lover boy and, mm-hmm. you know, moist and all of these artists that you could go with your parents and have a safe two and a half, three hours watching shows there because you knew that, you know, it was just all in good fun. It was a little bit of nostalgia Here's a little bit of our new album. The stars are out. There's no roof. Everything is great. It's a summer night, and let's go check out a band. There was nothing 
snarky about it. It didn't have an attitude. It didn't judge who you were. It was just all in good fun. And that's really what I'm going to miss. It is. You know, I remember getting my mother now, I think about it, when I first started, you know, working in this newsroom in a rock radio station in, in Toronto, and I got my mother tickets. She asked me, and she was from Liverpool, and my father had just died, and she said, can you get me tickets to Vera Lynn? She's going to be at the CNE. And I did. And so all the things you're talking about, they're my mother, you know, with her widow friends, and they were freaking out <laughs> like they'd just seen <laughs> the Rolling Stones. And, yeah. you know, she talked about it all her life. But we all have memories there. I mean, it's not dead yet, but it's the no. idea of it. And it, it, this really is a story about the virus, too, isn't it? I mean, we're saying goodbye to things that we never dreamed the business model wouldn't support. I mean, they struggled for years, the CNE. When I was a young reporter, it was always about, you know, can they do it? Can they do it? And and they did such an incredible job of turning things around. And I don't know, we're seeing deaths, really. This We're seeing human deaths, and we're seeing the deaths of things and things that humans loved. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't have put it better. You know, it, it's it's one of those things where you hear that something has shut down, whether it's a clothing store or a restaurant mm-hmm. or potentially the CNE, and you think, oh, that's so sad. And then you think, well, why haven't I gone there recently? You know, maybe if I went there last year, they wouldn't be in such financial straits. But yeah. I think things like the CNE, you know, maybe it's time... Uh, you know, March, April, May, we start to put the spotlight on things like this that need our help and continuing to put the effort and maybe putting a little bit of pressure on the local government to say, look, so if it loses $6 million, like there might be a lot of things that lose $6 million that you guys pays for. This is really important, not only to the music scene here in Toronto and Canada, but it's important to the psyche of, of Canadians to have something like this around. Even if you don't get a million three people, maybe you get 700,000 tours. Mm-hmm. And it also is, it, is it, it's a group activity that technology hasn't really changed. You know, I remember my dad with his darts, and he'd been a dart champion in Liverpool, and hitting that midway when I was a kid, year after year, and you know, and when the darts were weighted, and all of it. I, I mean, such memories, and everyone has their own. I just don't think they're going to let it go. I think. You know, remember after SARS, we had a, a huge concert. Yeah, that concert. Yeah. Well, we should have one to raise money for a whole bunch of things, to send things to the things we love, don't you think? Yeah, I, I and I'm there. Um, it, 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 You know, you just take a look at the sheer amount of artists from Neil Sedaka to Frankie Avalon to Herman's Hermits and, um, you know, Fog Hat, like, you know, those artists that are still around, that are still alive, may not have an opportunity to tour um, because, you know, they're going to get another year older or two years older. Um, I, I think it's time that we really put the focus on live music in this city and in this country. And the CNE has been a large part of that for a lot of years, for a lot of people. It's like people, you know, when you all of a sudden you start thinking, oh, so-and-so, your friends who are older, and you say, I better get out there because they, they might not be there anymore. And again, this is not a person, but it's alive. The CNE is alive. Absolutely. It has a heartbeat just as much as anybody else in this city does, because we actually make it into what we want it to be. And I think that if you take it away, it's one of those things where 
you have to be very, very careful because you may not be able to ever get it back again. And, you know, when we start closing down, especially music venues, where all music starts off being local, mm-hmm. the not only the economic impact is going to be lost throughout the city, but the emotional impact of sheer happiness and psychological um, love that we feel around the same place, watching the same thing, knowing that as a community we are experiencing and enjoying this together. That's something that no amount of artificial intelligence or VR or music streaming sites can ever replicate. All right. Hey, Eric. Hey, man. It's the '60s. People listening to us. We're, we're full of we're full of flower power here. Eric Alver. Thank you for joining. Thank you, sir. Yes, you thank take you care out there. Okay. Bye, bye. Eric Alper, music expert. I was talking about this at the beginning of the show again. I was talking about it last night. I mean, there's all these symbols of COVID-19, and they all strike us differently. Certainly the CNA really striking a very emotional symbol for a lot of people. And I mentioned last night when I saw the article in The Star that Kit Kat was closing on King Street in Toronto. It made me tear up, and I'm not kidding there. And I thought, how sad. And all the memories I had and all... And all the experience that I felt there about what it did to Toronto. So tonight, we go a little farther than that. We are joined by the owner of the Kit Kat, Al Carbone. Al, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Al, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And how how do you feel right now? Uh, I, I feel pretty sad myself. We're getting a lot of, uh, after the article in the Star, mm. a lot of our customers are writing and kind of mentioning the same thing, that, you know, they have good memories there. They've been coming for years. A lot of people were proposed there. They come on their anniversary, their children, their first dates, all of it. And uh, I'm going to miss that the most. They've been uh, gracing our doors for many years, and we've had all walks of life come through, and mm-hmm. all everybody was special to us. You know, I was saying last night that the Kit Kat, I remember going there, and it was so New Yorky at the time in Toronto, wasn't it? I mean, it was, it just had that New York vibe. Did you do that on purpose? Uh, it, it was just the way it evolved. I, I started out very humble, barbecuing Italian sausages <laughs> on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. My wife and I, Kathy Horvath, we uh, grew into a variety store, Kit Kat Variety at the time. That was 1989. And shortly after that, we started to grow in and evolve into a restaurant, which became Kit Kat Italian Bar and Grill. And we've had a lot of memories, a lot of pictures. We had the famous uh, tree that people came to wish on. Oh, no. And we called it the wishing tree. Well, that's what I thought. It was so New York. Here you had this tree, and it was just a great place to meet. And it had that thing that it was not too fancy and not too diner. It was... It, it, it was like a hole in a wall yeah. that, that uh, attracted everyone. And that restaurant could have been anywhere, but only there. Al, let me ask you, you, know when, did you when did you know that you were going to close? I, I just can't imagine the, the well, trajectory it, it, here. It was... It was pretty scary, uh, March the 16th, when mm-hmm. we were told to close. That, that becomes scary for us. And 
it, it kept on getting worse. And the news that we had in the States, mm-hmm. you know, with the COVID escalating and, and not York. being taken mm-hmm. care of, New York, New York was bad. Uh, anyway, kept on, kept on getting worse. July, July was kind of August. I'm contemplating. I can't afford this. And if this, the theaters are closed, the conventions are closed, the hotels, one to five percent occupancy, the office towers, people are working from the home. They're going to stay there probably. Won't be open till uh, maybe the end of next year or the beginning spring. We can't wait. Small businesses, you know, the bills added up and nothing else came in. And it, it was uh, hard. It's hard to continue. It is, Al. You know, as we cover this, sometimes I wonder if small business is, is getting the help it needs. We've been hearing stories like yours. I mean, uh, there's all this subsidy. What do you say? Did you, did you get enough well, of an uplift here? Uh, no. It was a little bit. My landlord was hoping it's going on for another four months. Even at that, I could not afford. It would cost me more money to stay open. I mean, to open than it closed. Ed Mervish used to tell me, he was a good friend. He said, when there's no theater and it's dark, it's, it's, it's dark. Um, I know how much I'm losing. If I take a chance on a show, I don't know how much I'm losing. No, no, you don't. How, how do you feel? Are you getting used to it? What are you going to do in the future? I know. Wh- well, what are you looking you know, forward here? You know, Arlene, everything's changed in the city. Starting the last two years mm-hmm. with the King Street pilot project, it's that was the beginning of the end. Yeah. And yeah. COVID put the final nails on the coffin, and the end is here. Which, unfortunately, nobody wants to go through that. There's a lot of small businesses. There's a lot of restaurants. Some landlords are helping. Some landlords can't. Every situation is uh, separate. Patios, if you have 100 seats, you're doing okay. If you have 10 seats, you're not. Or I had eight at the most. So, And I can't. I'm 12 feet wide, Arlene. I can't accommodate oh, no. 16 people and open and make money. I'm going to lose money. I had to cut my losses. That's the unfortunate part. And for the last 16 years, for the last 16 years, it's been, uh, it's, you know. You've had a great great run, Al, but let me ask you, you know, I mean, getting back to the business aspect of this. I mean, you built up something that you could have sold. You built up something. And it's one thing to have to step away and give it to someone else. It's another thing to step away because the circumstances are you can't even see it it can be operated anymore. I mean, it must be still hard for you to get your mind wrapped around that. Yes, it is. It's, it's, uh, it's so difficult. I'm going to have too much time on my hands. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm selling my house. I'm moving out to Niagara region. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, you know, they forced me to retirement. Hopefully, you know, it'll work out uh, I'll find something to do somewhere. And I want to spend more time with my family. Do you feel sad, Al? Is there there a sadness here? 
I, I'm sad as much as all our customers are sad. You included, Arlene. Yeah, I mean, it must, you know, half of it, people send their love, and sometimes when you have a loss, and people say, I felt that too, and I felt it was important, and and it, it can almost make it a bit more painful, can it? Well, Kit was a very special place, and uh, a lot of people have fond memories, and, uh, you know, it is what it is, I guess. What do you say, you know, you're, you know, you're mentioning honest ads and what do you think is going to happen here? Because the scenario you laid out is very credible. I mean, we're wondering who's, who's going to be wandering around downtown buying coffee and going for food? Not very many, especially my part of King Street from Spadina to University with the office towers all being, uh, being closed more or less. Mm-hmm. There's a few people working downtown, like all the food courts and the towers are closed. No one could afford this kind of, uh, you know, disaster. disaster. Yeah. It's Al- hard to, yes. Yeah, I was just going to thank you, Al, and, and tell you once again how sorry I am. And I'm, I know the whole city is sorry, and there's a lot of other people like you out there. You know, and I was talking about it last night. One of our guests said, yeah, that's sad, and I know others. So you're not alone, and our hearts go out to you, and I want to thank you and all the entrepreneurs who stuck their neck out and put their money out and put a shingle out and tried to make our city uh, a groovy, great place. Thank you. Arlene, I want to say one last thing. Mm -hmm. The city was very good to me, and I try to give back to the community best I could, and I think we did a lot of it. So I, I appreciate everyone coming through. Mm-hmm. And I hope people remember us as being a, an iconic place. And actually, the building was probably one of the most photographed buildings in Toronto with the cow, the sign. Oh, and I know. On the patio. It had but it all, and it had it all in that area. Al Carbone, thank you. You take care. And we're all thinking of you, and a lot of lot of virtual hugs going out to you tonight. And, and, and maybe you could go to our website. Anyone listening that's interested, we have a farewell letter on online posted on our KitKat website. All right. Okay. Have a great time in Niagara. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for calling. All right. Al Carbon there. It's hard to say goodbye. Look at everything we're talking about here. CNE and saying goodbye to iconic places like Kit Kat. That's the podcast for today. You can hear On Point live on the radio Monday through Friday, 6.30 to 10 p.m. I'm Arlene Bynan, filling in for Alex Pearson.